Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Before I get there, let me thank all of you who were here the last couple of days as we had memorial services after Tom Harrison passed. Uh, just a phenomenal uh, amount of work that went into how we remember Tom and celebrate and surround Kathy. Our prayers are still with her uh, today. And um, I wanted to thank our deacons team for the way that you guys uh, just surrounded all of that and our, our tech team. There were many hands that were involved in uh, the, the way that we told the story of Tom's life. And um, just thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for honoring Tom in, in this way. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Pray with me for just a minute. Father God, thank you for allowing us to gather here today to increasingly become a fellowship of people who are united in our faith in you as our Lord, but also united together in a fellowship that is growing deeper, deeper in love with you, deeper in love with each other, deeper in love with your truth. Let your truth wash over us. And not just wash over us as if like it passes on by, but let it sink in deeply that we will be people who crave to understand more of your word, who long for your wisdom. That we will be people who are so saturated with the scriptures that they flow from us at the right time when we need to offer a word of wisdom or comfort or counsel to somebody else, or when we are seeking direction at difficult turning points. We pray that your spirit will guide us, fill us, shape us, and empower us for ministry. Lord, we know this isn't all that we are and all that we are about here in the hour that we meet together, that this is that time when we gather for further instructions. This is that time when we gather for encouragement. But then you send us out into a world that badly needs representatives of Jesus. And so I pray that you allow us to see mornings like this as a commissioning. It allows us a moment of rest and reflection and re-equipping before you send us out into a world that is sometimes hostile and confused and full of people who actually really do want to know you, want to know your ways. We ask that you would flow your help and your healing power into our lives. So we ask that you'd surround Kathy as she mourns the loss of Tom just two weeks ago. We ask that you would continue to strengthen Jenny McDonough and Jim as he cares for her, and Jean DeVoisin as he prepares for uh, this stem cell infusion, and for Anne as she 
cares for Jean. We look forward to the day when Jean will be able to return to us and uh, limit this isolation that he's in while the chemotherapy takes place. Lord, you know others in our congregation who've had surgeries that they don't want broadcast but where they've sought your help, or people who've been struggling with one difficulty or another where we needed your wisdom, we needed your strength. Thank you for reminding us that Jesus is the anchor that always holds in the midst of the storm. Stay true for us in our storms too. Now open our ears as we we look for instruction from you from your word. And I pray that you would apply this far beyond the way that I prepared because your word is living and active and it's your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. David Owens is a pastor in upstate New York and he once told a story about Albert Einstein. And Einstein was attending a dinner party and seated next to him was a young college student who was unfamiliar with Einstein and his reputation. And here's the most brilliant man in the world at that time and a young guy who really didn't know much about him. But they struck up a conversation. Einstein was that kind of guy. He, he was very open to other people. And at one point, the student asked him, well, what are you actually by profession? And Einstein replied, I devote myself to the study of physics. The student paused and his mouth dropped open in astonishment. And then he said, you are still studying physics at your age? I finished my study of physics a year ago. Now, there's a reason for telling a story like that. There's a huge difference between taking a course in physics, which the college student had just done, and being devoted to the study of physics. The young college student likely survived an introductory course in physics, while Albert Einstein continually pushed the world's understanding of physics through his devotion to physics as a discipline. This morning, we're beginning a new series that we're calling Church on the Move, and this title comes from the Greek word that Jesus used to describe the church that he wanted his followers to launch and to lead. On that first day when Peter made his confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's when Jesus first used that word, church. It's the word ekklesia in the Greek language. And essentially, that word described a dynamic movement of people more than it did an edifice or a static structure like the building that you and I are seated in today. I'll say more about that later in this series, but I hope this is enough for you to embrace the primary reason for this title. We are a church on the move. We are not a group of people who just sit every once in a while in a building and only function as the church when we're in this building. So in this series, we're going to be looking at the purposes of the very first church with the hope that we can refresh and renew our understanding of the primary purposes of North River Church today or for us as Christians, wherever God may lead us. Our topic today is equipped by apostolic teaching. So here we go. Welcome to North River Church today. I'm glad you're here. Let me welcome all of you who are in the room. It's great to see you today. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you got that extra hour of sleep too. And maybe why this service is a little bit fuller than the next one will be. Let me also warmly welcome everybody who's with us online today. Thank you for gathering where you are. And whether you're working or whether you're sick or whether you choose to uh, participate with us online, we're glad that you are a part of the fellowship. 
I love knowing that this service will reach people far beyond this specific hour as you watch at a time that works for you. Now, however you connect with North River, I want to ask you to do something in order to partner with me and to partner with our staff. Think about the people who are in your sphere of influence and who may be open to accepting an invitation to join you. If you attend in person or attend on a regular basis, invite a friend to come with you. Tell them why this makes a difference in your life and and what our church means to you and invite them to come along. If you are watching online and if you usually watch online, invite a friend to either watch with you or watch on your own and then get together later on for a cup of coffee and talk about what did you learn. Now, why? Why am I asking this? We're entering into one of those seasons right now where today through Christmas, where people are most open to thinking about coming to a church or to discovering more about Jesus and the reasons for Christmas, but many people aren't sure where to go because they've had bad experiences in the past. And you can help them take that first step. The question behind this morning's message is this. Are we devoted to the same pursuits as the earliest Christians. That's an important endeavor. Are we devoted to the same pursuits, or have we changed basic Christianity? I'd like to focus on the first steps that the early Christians took in following Jesus. We read about them here in Acts chapter 2. Acts of the Apostles is commonly just referred to as Acts, but it describes the lives of the first church and the earliest Christians, and then as the Christian movement grew from city to city after Jesus ascended back to the heavens. And so we see the progress that happens. The first thing we discover is that following Jesus requires devotion. So verse 42 is the primary verse that I'm going to be focusing on this morning. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To understand the patterns and power of the early church, we have to embrace this concept of devotion. It says they were devoted to something. They were devoted, first of all, to uh, the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship as a whole. So the dictionary defines devotion this way, an unswerving fidelity or loyalty to a person or a cause. So by definition, an unswerving loyalty is not to something that is temporary or fleeting. It is by nature consistent and unrelenting. It is more than a passing interest. It is a passion. Perhaps we should call it a driving passion or a defining passion. When you hear that word devotion, what comes to mind? I'm not talking about morning devotions when maybe you read a little bit of scripture and you, and you quiet down and you think about God, but devotion that comes from the heart. What comes to mind? I, I was thinking about this during the week and um, my mind was drawn to a story that I'd read a while back about Allison Felix. Allison Felix displayed an unusual amount of devotion to the sport of track and field. So as an 18-year-old, Allison exploded on the scene, winning a silver medal in the 200 meters in the 2004 Olympics. During the next four years, she became the world's most dominant sprinter among all women for the 200 meters. But in the 2008 Olympics, she took second again and came home with a second silver, and she was bitterly disappointed. She won some gold medals on relay teams, but that individual gold medal still eluded her. So what did she do? She worked even harder. She trained harder. She was more diligent. 
And she came back for her third Olympics in 2012, and finally she won the 200 meters on her third try. Now, that's one kind of devotion. It's a devotion to a task or a sport or excellence in a particular field that demands more and more and more to try and become the best in the world at something. Here's another kind of devotion. The New Testament also describes the first Christians as being devoted to one another. There are these one another uh, descriptions and challenges that come throughout the New Testament. They're told to love one another in John 13, to honor one another in Romans 12, to accept one another in Romans 15, to instruct one another, to greet one another, to agree with one another in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to encourage each other or one another in 2 Corinthians 13, to serve one another, bear with one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, submit to one another. You get the idea there's a lot of one another's in the Bible? to forgive one another, to offer hospitality to one another, to build up one another, and to wash one another's feet. These are powerful, descriptive terms of the kind of community that the very first church in existence was in the process of becoming. Now, don't for a minute think that they got all of that right or perfectly all at once. didn't happen that way. That's why there are so many of these encouragements or reminders that are laced throughout the New Testament letters. Because as the church developed and grew, they needed to get better and better at these things. They needed to have those reminders that we are all in this together and that we're going to spend eternity with each other. So we might as well figure out how we start loving on each other now. But here's the point. Jesus requires devotion to the task. And and Christianity is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that's just uh, an incidental piece of our lives. The more and more we are connected to Jesus that devotion to God begins to pour out of us. So following Jesus requires devotion. Here's a second thought. Jesus also expected devotion. He expected it. He didn't just require it and and leave it all up to to us. Uh, He made it a part of his calling toward people. In Luke chapter 9, there's a section in the Gospels where Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This statement from Jesus was prompted by a comment that came from a man who was beginning to walk along with the disciples, and as they're walking down the road, this one man calls out from the pack, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, those are wonderful words. They sound promising. I would imagine that in a lot of ways, that's what Jesus longed to hear from people. But he tested that commitment. And the people in the crowd that day were making excuses. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me go and bury my father. Well, that literally means let me wait until my father dies, however many years or decades that will take. And then when all of my other responsibilities are over, Jesus, I'll follow you. And there are a number of things like that. And Jesus was sifting out the crowd to figure out who was really devoted to him. Ultimately, Jesus clarifies what he was looking for when he made that comment. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. Now, this is an illustration that doesn't instantly make sense to a lot of people today, but it did in that agricultural community that Jesus was in in the first century. When a farmer hooks up a plow, he or she has to keep their head looking straight ahead, forward. If their heads turn around while they're plowing, you know what happens? 
Same thing that happens when you look to the side while you're driving. You begin to move in that direction. So imagine if you looked at the farmer's field, and instead of seeing all these straight lines that you marvel at when you drive down the highway and past the farm, you saw these squiggly lines. What we would see there is while plowing, the farmer had turned away and gotten distracted, and you got these zigzag lines across the field. That wouldn't help when the process came for fertilizing or for harvesting the crops, they'd have to follow those same zigzag lines as well. It helps us realize that Jesus is asking for straight ahead, no look back, devotion. Devotion, whatever may come. Devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus and his mission. All right, do you remember Alice and Felix I told you about a moment ago? Uh, Talking about how... uh, We're not to look back and to get distracted. Allison faced one of those don't look back moments when she pursued one more medal. In 2016, she was a four-time Olympian and aiming at her fifth Olympics. Two years later, in 2018, she and her husband decided they wanted to have a child. Sounds pretty normal, right? She's been running for years. She's, She's an adult now. She's in her 30s. However, the sponsors who pay Olympic athletes to run between Olympic years began to put pressure on her to abort her child so that she could keep running in events and make them more money. So you get the sense of what's happening here. There's somebody powering up and saying, we're going to cut your funding dramatically if you keep this child. What do you do? Some of the women who are racers have stories that have little been told about how they succumbed to that pressure. They didn't want to, but they did because they felt forced to. Allison refused. She allowed her contract, I'm not going to name the the big-name company that was behind her at that point because I'm not trying to make it about that, but she allowed her contract to run out. And then she started her own athletic clothing line called Athleta, A-T-H-L-E-T-A. She stuck by the values that she held as a Christian and called out the apparel moguls that put that kind of pressure on female athletes and said, this is wrong. This is fundamentally wrong that you are trying to make us do something like this that goes against our convictions. And eventually, she testified to these pressure tactics before Congress. And her pressure led to dramatic changes in the way that female athletes are treated and paid by the Olympic sponsors today. And then after having an emergency C-section in 2019, Allison ran in her fifth Olympic Games in 2020 in Tokyo. That's amazing. She won a bronze medal that year in her final Olympics in the 400 meters and then another gold in a relay, leaving her with 11 medals, seven gold, three silver, one bronze, the most decorated sprinter in American Olympic history. Awesome story. That's devotion to what you believe is right despite the pressure put on you by others. Here's the third discovery. This fellowship was devoted to apostolic teaching. So we go back to that same verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The early church was not a vague or undefined fellowship. This fellowship is first of all described here as being devoted to the apostles' teaching. So this statement was describing the overall commitment that colored the entire church. Yes, there were beginners and veterans, learners and experienced Christians, but this designation describes the overall character of the first Christians. 
that they longed to understand what the apostles had been handed down from Jesus and were handing down to them as well. Notice that this does not say that they separated the teaching of Jesus from the teaching of the disciples or the apostles. Yes, their teaching centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, they also taught the words of Jesus that we find in the Gospels, the parables, the Sermon on the Mount, all those wonderful descriptions of the kingdom of God that come from Jesus. But the same men who were Jesus' original disciples became known as apostles, meaning that they were commissioned by Jesus, they were direct witnesses of his life and teaching, and then sent out to create Christian communities around the world. And the church, wherever they went, followed their teaching as well as they responded to the challenges and controversies of their days through their understanding of the teaching of Jesus and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, why is this a significant point that I'm landing on, that Jesus' disciples did not, or that the early church did not separate the teaching of Jesus' disciples or apostles from the words of Jesus himself? From time to time today, we hear people say, well, I'm a red-letter Christian. Now, that's okay if that means that we stress the teaching of Jesus first or primarily. I think we should do that. In that sense, I'm a red-letter Christian. I want the words of Jesus to be prominent in my mind. But, but, the term red-letter Christian in some people's mindset means that we can follow the words of Jesus and then ignore the rest of the Bible or ignore the rest of the New Testament. I'm a red-letter Christian, but don't ask me to, to read the words of Paul or Peter or James. They have some things that are challenging that I'm just not going to buy into. Let's be careful about that. We should prioritize the words of Jesus. But first we have to recognize it's not the pattern of the earliest Christians many of whom saw Jesus, who witnessed his life, who witnessed his, his words and his death and his resurrection and even his ascension. That wasn't their pattern. Second, it ignores the reality that Jesus personally commissioned these apostles with his authority to teach, preach, heal, and further the kingdom of God on earth. And third, when we do that, it starts to divide Christians. Oh, I'm a gospel-only Christian. I'm a, I'm a red-letter a red letter Christian. Even within the Gospels, I only look at the red letters, not the rest of it. Or I ignore what the apostles wrote. When we do that, we ignore the way the church developed, and we, we ignore the way that God was forming their hearts to deal with challenges that Jesus didn't have time to deal with in the three short years that he walked the earth in and taught in his formal ministry. It's all God's Word. It's all inspired. It's all there for our instruction and for our development and for our good. Last thought. Wise Christians follow the apostles' teaching today. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck on the opening part of this verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think there's a whole lot that is in there. How do we do this? Well, first, in order to do this, we must, we must become lifelong students of the Bible. I mentioned that yesterday we had Tom Harrison's celebration of life here at North River. Person after person remarked in the, the formal ceremony but also in the hours afterward about Tom's wise counsel, about the way that scripture seemed to flow out of him, often with applications that were very helpful. 
We as a church benefited from that. Tom was one of our overseers. Twice he was the chair of our, our overseers or our elders team for four years each time. And he was a wise man. Uh, on, the, on the night that we all heard that Tom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, there wasn't a dry eye in the room in our overseers meeting. We all loved Tom. But we also loved Tom because of his influence and his impact. Tom was a lifelong, continual student of the Bible. Every day. Every year. He didn't brag about it, but if you got close to him, he let you know that he was, I don't know how many years in a row, it was like 18 or 19 years in a row of reading through the Bible every year. And he had a very methodical way that he did that. Why? It wasn't that he didn't know the Bible, but he wanted the words to be fresh in his memory. He wanted the wisdom of God to be operating in his mind in in whatever he did. The more you know Scripture, it will not only flow out of you, but you will also learn how to recognize what is apostolic teaching and what is not. And I find in our American church today, every once in a while people are open to some really bizarre ideas that the early church never would have bought into because they knew the teaching of the apostles that kept them on track. The more we know the Word of God, especially the New Testament, the more it keeps us from falling from all of the new fads that come along. Teaching that wanders far away or that disregard what the apostles wrote should lead us to recognize that we are hearing a different gospel. How do we do this? Second, Join a group of people who are committed to learning and loving with you. We call them small groups around here. Small groups are where imperfect learners like you and me discuss and apply Scripture and grow together, and we ponder the impact of Jesus on our lives. Stay together long enough, and you will experience deeper levels of fellowship as you continue to learn and grow together, regardless of who's in the group, regardless of how much you like everybody or don't like everybody on the first time that you gather. It is amazing what happens over a period of time. You start to see God rounding off the rough edges in other people's lives and how God uses those other people that you think have rough edges to round off your rough edges too. And we are changed in the process of learning to love that way. Third, if you haven't already, take the 201 Become class here at North River. We'll offer that again in a few months. We just had one, I think, last month. But in that class, you learn about the kind of habits that will help you grow in faith. You learn how to study the Bible, and perhaps in a way that you've never really discovered before. Long term, we hope to see more and more people who become Bible-saturated. Why? Not that we're going to win the Bible memory competition between us and other churches. That's not the point. But it means that God's word begins to flow into our thinking, into our discussions. It begins to guide the way that we treat other people. It flows into the way that we make decisions. And we become wiser. This is the pathway of discipleship. Becoming a disciple doesn't mean becoming an expert. It means becoming a learner. That's literally what that term means. And you and I, all, should be lifelong learners. I know that's one of my goals. To the day that I die, I want to keep learning. I want to keep discovering something new. And the goal of discipleship is becoming more and more like Jesus. I like one of the lines in one of the songs we sang this morning. I I had to stop and write it down. It says, I will stay here for a little while until I become like the one I behold. 
That's really what worship is about. It's giving praise to God, but it's also staying in the presence of God and saying, I want to be in your presence. I want to dwell on you. I want to meditate on you. I want to learn more about you until I become more like you. God is in the business of not just implanting Christian ideas in our heads, but of turning you and me into people who reflect Jesus every day in the world because we are becoming more like Jesus. I can't think of a higher compliment than when somebody would say, wow, as you were talking, as you were doing that, as you were saying that, as you were acting in that way, I sensed Jesus in the room. That's when we know that we're really becoming disciples. So here's the big idea for this morning. Full devotion to Jesus follows the teaching of the apostles and the examples of the very first church. Real simple. Here's the negative side of that. If we don't follow the teaching of the apostles or the example of the very first church, we should question, have we created our own religion and walked away from the Christianity that rose from the Gospels. And I know you guys won't settle for that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for not only sending Jesus, but thank you for sending the apostles who faced a number of challenges as the church was growing and applied the wisdom of Jesus to those challenges and then left their records for us to read through. Thank you for not creating perfect churches in those early years, but churches who had to grapple with mistakes and sins and errors in judgment and personality conflicts and all the things that we read about in the New Testament. Thank you for leaving us documents that help folks like us think through how we apply your word and your wisdom to the challenges of our day, knowing that we are frail too. But thank you for the leading of your spirit that can make us victorious and able to succeed in all the goals you have for us. Lord, thank you for giving us this wonderful congregation that's both here in person and that stretches wherever the online portion of this takes us. Knit our hearts together. Make us into the kind of fellowship that found the favor of all the people around them and where one by one, people who are putting their faith in Jesus were being added to their numbers daily. We long to see that happen here. In Jesus' name. Amen.